Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. I am very glad that you're here. I'm very appreciative that you would take the time to read our articles, listen to our podcasts, watch our videos. Uh, It is very encouraging to me, and I'm glad that we are able to share the practical message of Christ with you. What I want to do here is I want to share, I want to walk through a case study. It is a complicated case study. It, it is about a man who is afraid to lead, to lead his wife, to step into his leadership, his rightful leadership position, to lead his wife, to lead this marriage, but yet he is afraid to. Now, this is a common problem with men, as I have shared many times, that men, we aren't as tough as we present ourselves to be. Sometimes I think there is a thin veneer uh, that on the outside it might look strong, but again, on the inside, it's a different story. And so what we have here is a man who is inhibited from leading his wife. He's afraid to do it, and there are reasons that he is afraid, and that's what I want to walk through. The simplistic counsel would be, to tell him to grow a backbone, to step up to the plate, and uh, to step into his responsibility. Well, that's his behavior, and that's a simplistic response that is somewhat harsh. Anytime that our behaviors are not matching up with what God wants us to be, well, then we have to look underneath the surface of our lives and to see where it all starts, because we know that our behaviors begin in our hearts. And so we want to make sure that we do careful analysis when we are assessing anyone that we are discipling. And in this case, we want to be very careful, not just to give simplistic advice to man up and to start leading your wife. And so I trust as I work through this case study that it will be beneficial for you, that you can make personal application in your life as well as anybody that you may be discipling. Now, you can read this resource, you can listen to the podcast, you can watch the video as well. And so with all of our resources, we have a read, watch, listen format so that you can choose which one uh, that is uh, preferable to you. The title of what I'm going to share with you is A Crippling Reason Why a Husband Does Not Lead His Wife. Let's get into it. 100 out of 100 people struggle with the fear of man. Caring about what other people think about us is a part of our Adamic packaging. What do I mean by that. Well, if you reflect on the early hours of Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, you will see that there was a turn in human history where Adam and Eve made a deliberate decision not to obey God, not to follow him, but to follow the course of this world. And of course, when they did that, they were changed dynamically. Uh, we call this being Adamic. And of course, they passed this along to all of us as we read in Romans 5.12. Now, part of our Adamic packaging or being Adamic, being fallen in Adam means that we have several sin issues that uh, operate in us. And a few of those are such things as fear and anxiety and worry and shame and guilt. And of course, there are a few others. Well, in this case study, I want to talk about our problem with fear. It is the most often 
appeal that you will read in Scripture where God is saying, or somebody is saying, fear not. Well, there is a reason that the Bible keeps saying over and over and over again, do not fear, trust me. Of course, not trusting God is what Adam chose to do, not to trust God, and of course, that set the course for him struggling with fear, among other things, which is, again, a part of our Adamic packaging. One of the specific iterations of fear is what we call the fear of man, caring too much about what other people think about us. I have never counseled a person who did not struggle with this problem to some degree. Now, of course, after we become a Christian and we begin to partake on the milk of God's word, we start maturing and we move to the meat of God's word. And the fear of man is not as debilitating as it once was. But the fear of man is always resident in us, even even to a small degree, thank God, as we continue to mature in Christ. And that's why I say I have never counseled anyone that does not struggle this way, even though hopefully you and I trust that I continue to mature that way too, so it's not as debilitating to me. But this is the problem with my friend Biff here in his marriage, especially his fear of what his wife thinks, his fear of leading her. Now, our our secular culture calls this codependency or peer pressure, and it really doesn't matter what you call it as long as you are using a biblical way of defining the problem as well as bringing God's solutions to it. So in this case study, I am going to address fear in the context of marriage, specifically insecurity as the inhibitor that keeps a husband from leading his wife well. And I would encourage you as you listen to what I'm going to present to you, I want you to see these steps as it moves deeper and deeper into Biff's soul, but yet it also spills out into where Mabel has a responsibility to make a decision as to whether she's going to be part of God's restoration team or not. Because they are in a covenant, because they are one flesh, though this is Biff sin issue, it would be unbiblical and unfair to say that Mabel doesn't have a role in this. And so as I weave through this case study, you're going to see the accumulative effect of the complexity as I begin to explain some of the dynamics that's going on in Biff's heart. Again, it will affect Mabel, which will be her call to come alongside Biff to help him as a caught individual, as Paul talked about in Galatians. 6-1. The primary text here is one that I'm sure you are familiar with. It is Proverbs 29-25. There are some texts in Scripture that you just want to memorize because you will go to them over and over again. And in this text, it communicates an idea that is applicable to us. Now, one of the beauties of this text is that, like a lot of the Proverbs, it is written in Hebrew parallelism. And what I mean by that is that it will give you one line across the top that will usually the negative, and then it will give you another line across the bottom that is the parallel, and that is the solution 
or the positive statement. And so in Proverbs 29, 25, the text reads this way, the fear of man leads to a snare. That's the negative, and so that would be the top line of the parallel. And then the bottom line says, but he who trusts the Lord is safe. Now, there are six words in that sentence that are truly beneficial that you really want to pinpoint and you want to highlight in your mind. On the negative, there are three words, and on the positive, there are three words, and actually, they are antithetical to one another. They are opposites. And so the first line says that the fear of man brings or leads to a snare. The three words are fear, man, snare, and that is the sequence. If you are afraid of what other people think about you to where it manages you, then of course, that's going to lead to incarceration. That is going to lead to a snare. You're controlled by what you think other people are thinking about you. The fear of man leads to a snare. And so fear, man, snare. And then the bottom line, the positive in the Hebrew parallelism here, but he who trusts the Lord is safe. And so here are the three opposites, trust, Lord, and safe. And again, it is a sequence. And so if you trust the Lord rather than fear, man, you will not be in a snare, but you'll actually be safe. And so the opposite of fear is trust, belief, placing your confidence in God. And so the opposite of fear is trust. The opposite of of man is the Lord. And then, of course, the result is the difference between a snare and safety. And so if you want to be safe, then the only opinion in the room that needs to have management over your mind needs to be God's opinion of you. Of course, that is not where Biff is. Let me explain. Biff has had a lifetime struggle with the fear of man. When I talked to him, he called it a paralyzing sin. It has been so debilitating that there was a time in Biff's marriage where he just took a passive approach from leading his wife, Mabel. And this is where we can get in trouble with our simplistic counseling because we could say, come on, Biff, just get a life, get a backbone, take a stand, be the man. You need to grow up, and you need to lead your wife. Now, you can make a case for all of those statements to be true, but again, we have to go back to where is the genesis? Where's the cause of these behavioral iterations or manifestations of our lives? Well, we know, according to Scripture, that the cause begins in our heart. And so, yeah, you need to lead your wife, but you also have to put off that old person, renew the spirit of your mind, and put on a new person. Therefore, we need to do proper excavation work to get get underneath, inside Biff's soul to find out what has captured him so that we can restore him. And again, I'm going to call on Mabel here in a little bit to cooperate with God with this lifetime debilitation that Biff has had. Now, one of the key things that you want to keep in mind here is that this sin issue predates Mabel. I will say it a couple of times. It has nothing to do with Mabel. Honestly, Biff brought this into his marriage, but now uh, it is the right hand and the left hand. They are part of the same body, and so the right hand can't say, I have no need of you. We are working together as a unified whole. 
whole. And so because of their covenant relationship, Mabel wants to understand what is going on so that she can help her husband get untangled or uncaught from this life debilitating sin. Of course, the benefit of that would be that it would make their marriage uh, much better than what it is now. And so she has a vested interest to want to be part of God's restoration team. Biff said it this way. He says, I feel like a hypocrite. How can I lead Mabel when I sin against her? I am not worthy of leading her. Now, that is a complex statement that he is making, but it's not an unusual one. I mean, maybe you're not even married, but you have this legalistic thought in your own mind. Let's say that you sin against somebody, and, and then uh, you ask for forgiveness, but you still have the lingering thought that you need to pay some kind of penance that you're still not free from it, even though you have been forgiven. Or let's say that you have sinned, and it's not against anybody, uh, humanly speaking, on a horizontal level, but of course all sin is against God. And so you sin against God, and you ask God to forgive you, but yet there is still that residual, that residue of legalism that is laying on the floor of your heart, and it is not possible for you at this moment to fully engage God the way that you should because you should be free. Well, this is what Biff is talking about. He says, I feel like a hypocrite. How can I lead Mabel when I sin against her? I am not worthy of leading her. You see, according to his flawed theological training, his inability to live a perfect life was a deterrent to his view of a leadership model in marriage, because that is the alternative for Biff. I mean, according to his flawed theology, he would have to live a perfect life so that he could lead consistently, regularly, and all the time. Well, that's not going to happen. And so he could not reconcile the fact that God called him to lead his wife at the same time that he occasionally sins against her. And so he felt embarrassed. Embarrassed is a euphemism for the fear of man. He felt embarrassed to lead her. Naturally, this worldview created a significant problem since Biff is not entirely sanctified because, again, in his flawed worldview, that is the solution. He would have to be perfect, but we know that's not going to happen in this life, and so he's going to have to change his theology so he can live a more bibliocentric life. Part of the problem here is that Biff has a high view of himself. Let me explain. When he sins, it is though that he is looking down from his lofty perch on this poor, pitiful sinner down here who happens to be himself, and he is embarrassed about who that person is. Of course, that person is Biff, and he's saying, you are just a pitiful person. You're not worthy to lead. Look how awful you are. Do you see the dynamic that is in play here? Biff has his own form of righteousness, and as long as he can maintain that standard, well, then he is in a position to lead. This self-imposed approval process, after he fails, he has to reapprove himself. He has to requalify himself. And so it is a self-imposed approval process so that he can be elevated to his lofty perch of worthiness based on his own works. Well, this approval process could take 
minutes. It could take hours. It could take days. It is really an arbitrary system that Biff would determine himself. Of course, it also had to do with the weight of his sin and the effect of his sin on Mabel. And once he felt that he had done enough to merit approval, he would begin leading again. And so as he looks down from his lofty perch on this poor, pitiful sinner down here, and he's so embarrassed about who that person is who happens to be himself, well, he's going to work himself up to his standard. And again, once he hits that standard, then he will be ready to lead. Well, it was a rigorous religious process. And of course, course, that opened the door to passivity. I mean, I'm not going to keep doing this. And so rather than just going through the pressure, the cyclic pressure of approval, disapproval when I sin, approval as I go through this penance process, well, rather than doing that, I am just going to be a passive husband. And of course, that's going to lead to its own problems as well. And then there's the added element of Mabel's approval. Not only does Biff have to approve himself according to his self-imposed approval process, but also if Mabel disapproved of his penance process, deeming whatever he had done to get back in her good graces as insufficient, well, he would have to wait until her opinion changed so that he could start leading again. And that is the dynamic of what was going on in Biff's soul and also in his marriage. Now, imagine the burden that Biff's twisted theology would place on anyone. Anybody that lives in this legalistic cycle of approved, disapproved, approved, well, eventually the weight of resting on your own works, being God of your own universe, the pressure of that is going to weigh heavily on you, and you're going to start looking for escapes. Let me walk through in four steps of how a temptation to escaping will eventually overcome a person that lives in this legalistic cycle. Step number one, he does not meet his self-imposed standard to merit leading his wife. That's point one. Number two, after he fails, he works through a penance process that is in part dependent on his wife's approval. That's point number two. And then number three, the rigor of his legalistic religion opened the door to temptation to find relief through escapes. That's point number three. Again, any time that we create a legalistic system, whether it's our lives that we live or we bring that into a marriage dynamic like what I am outlining here with Biff and Mabel, where the pressure of that's going to be, it's going to go from despair to depression, and we're going to look for relief because none of us was built to be God of our universes. And so point number four, or point number three, the rigor of his legalistic religion opened the door of temptation to find relief through escapes, and then point number four, enter porn pornography. 
Pornography is primarily about the theater of the mind. I'm not going to do an entire talk on pornography now, but one of the key dynamics of pornography is that it is, it's not so much with the physical, as many people would think, and the elements of gratification, which is true and real, but it's primarily about the theater of the mind, a drama that a guy constructs where fictional cyber ladies approve and affirm him. It is a perfect, and I put the word perfect in air quotes, but it is a perfect world where Biff can find acceptance and satisfaction without concern for failing or disappointing anyone. Again, it's a fictional theater of the mind as the person, in this case Biff, creates the narrative where he can make the ladies say, do, be, anything that he desires, and of course it will always be affirming and accepting of him, making him feeling significant, which creates a perfect, in air quotes, escape to find relief from this other world that he is living. It is a risk-free, failure-free, always accepted world. Though he could not control the ups and downs of his marriage, he could manage his craving for acceptance in cyberspace. And so he tells his fictional characters what to think, what to say, how to feel about him. And so he finds relief as God of his universe. Now, this case study about the complexity of corruption is where the sword has a double-edged Because as you begin to unpack this, especially in a counseling situation, imagine. Imagine the weight of this on Mabel as she begins to hear these things. And this is where you would want to be careful. This is a a 30-minute presentation. This is a brief article, but it will take a whole lot more time to walk through these dynamics and to build a case, but doing it carefully and compassionately uh, so that she can grow into these new ideas because uh, this will probably be new to her because most people don't understand the dynamics of a person's heart in the way that I'm laying out laying out here, but before I get into her tension, which will be great, it is important to restate that a wife is never guilty of her husband's sin. A wife is never guilty of a husband's sin, and a husband is never guilty of a wife's sin, ever. But Mabel will have to decide if she will be part of God's restoration team because the truth is her husband is caught, according to Galatians 6, 1 and 2, you who are spiritual, meaning you who have the spirit, those who have been born again is what he's talking about. Dead people aren't spiritual. They're dead in their trespasses and sins, as we learn in Ephesians 2, as we learn in Ephesians 4, 17 and following. They're futile in their thinking, darkened in their heart. They have become callous. The the Spirit has not animated them. They are not spiritual. And so Paul is talking to Christians, you who have the Spirit, you who have been made alive in God, you have to come alongside caught people, people who are ensnared. The fear of man leads to a snare, and there is no question that Biff is incarcerated. And so Mabel will have to determine if she's going to be part of God's restoration team and to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on herself, because the temptation, as you can imagine, would be strong to retaliate, uh, to succumb to that temptation, and to respond in sin. 
One of the hardest things for a wife in a situation like this to realize is the actual condition of their marriage and her role as a one-flesh covenantal partner. Though it is a cold and harsh reality, she must adjust to the truth about what is happening with them, not just him. Even though he is responsible for his sin, he is guilty, she is not, but yet she has a responsibility as what Paul was teaching us to come alongside and restore, in this case, to restore a part of her body because they are in a one flesh covenantal partnership. And so as Mabel begins to accept the reality of her marriage, she will have to guard guard her heart against many things like anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, even resentfulness. She'll also have to protect against retaliating toward Biff. You can imagine that this could be quite frustrating for her. Rejecting the realities of our lives will hinder us from getting to where we need to be in our journey with God and others. In Mabel's case, she will hinder her heart's desire. Here's her heart's desire, a marriage that reflects Christ and his church. One of the ways that she can think about this through tears, of course, and through a lot of grief, is that God is shining his light on Biff's heart and is revealing things that have been there. We could just live a life that that says he's a passive man, Uh, but in this instance, God is revealing his light, and God wants to dig out those things that have been inhibiting him, that have been keeping this marriage from reflecting Christ and the church. And so there is a silver lining as she sees that silver lining through tears and a lot of grief. But as her heart begins to transform to what God is doing in this relationship, then she can make that decision that she wants to cooperate with God to help restore her caught husband. What I'm sharing with you, the title of it is A Crippling Reason Why a Husband Does Not Lead His Wife. On the outside, he is let's say, passive, but on the inside, there is this complex sin dynamic that's going on. Not just the sin that inhibits, but also the escape mechanisms that he has put in place as a way to find relief from his flawed theology. And then, of course, it is spilling out, and it is hurting his wife as well. In the call to action here, I have five questions for you, and in order to work through this case, this is what I want you to do. If this is something that you want to spend time wrestling through, then I have I want to spend five uh, spend five hours. I think that's it. I want to spend no six hours. I want to spend six hours with you, walking you through how to help Biff and Mabel. And the way that I want to do that is that I have several webinars that I would love for you to watch, six as a matter of fact, and they are tied to the questions that I'm going to ask you. And so as I ask the question, I want you to reflect upon the questions, but then also, if you want to do this deeper dive to really get into the uh, new, get into the complexity of what is going on in this marriage, I want you to watch these uh, one-hour webinars. They're free. They're on our website. 
like you you can watch them and benefit from them there's really there's no catch whatsoever and so here are the five questions the first one is why is the fear of man such a formidable foe not just for bill but for but for the rest of us my follow-up question is how do you struggle with the fear of man now i have a one hour webinar again it's linked here in this article and you can watch it and it will unpack uh, what the problem is and what the solutions are. And this will be a huge benefit for Biff. Number two, what are two primary issues with Biff? He does not understand the gospel practically, and he's complicating that sin by choosing porn. Those are the two primary issues with Biff. He doesn't understand the gospel practically. He has a flawed theology, and he's using these escapes through pornography. I have a one-hour webinar here on pornography. I would love for you to watch. Number three, how would you address Biff's legalism? What is your specific and detailed plan? I have a webinar here, another one-hour webinar on true and false guilt. Biff is tied up in legalism, and he really doesn't understand what it means to be forgiven versus working working to please God and also working to please his wife. And then number four, how would you address his temptation to find relief through sin rather than Christ? What I'm talking about here is self-reliance. He is relying on himself and he's not relying on God. I also have a webinar here called Target of Change, how to address the heart of Biff, of the put-off the renew and the put on. And then finally, number five, how would you walk Mabel through the hurt that she is experiencing and how can she cooperate with God in restoring her caught husband? I have two webinars here. One is called uh, How to Identify the Ruling Motives of the Heart. She will need this information so that she can get into Biff's idol factory and begin to bring gospel solutions as this webinar lays out. And then I also have the doctrine of repentance. This is a critical uh, webinar that walks through the process of repentance because Biff is going to have to do more here than just confess his sin, as he's done here. He said, this is my problem. I am confessing it. He'll have to do more than just ask God and Mabel for forgiveness, but he needs to walk through the full repentance process, and you will be able to see that laid out for you here. The title of this article I've been sharing with you, A Crippling Reason Why a Husband Does Not lead his wife. Thank you so much for listening. I trust this has been a benefit for you. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.